Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography Podcast. Today, my guest is Serena Mastin. She is a visionary entrepreneur, an author, and the founder and owner of Pulse Marketing. Welcome, Serena. It is an absolute pleasure and honor to have you here. We've been trying for quite some time to get this done, so I'm glad we're finally able to get here to this point and get this interview done. I'm so excited to jump in and share all about the beautiful light you put out into the world through the work you do and your story and your journey. Thank you for taking and making the time to be here with me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. It's just such an honor to be not only a part of the podcast, but just a small part of your life. The honor and the pleasure is truly all mine. So with that being said, let's jump right in. That is a hell of a lot of hats you wear, quite the resume. (laughs) I mean, running one business is a lot of work in itself, but two businesses, how do you find the time for all of this? And how do you prioritize it? How important is prioritization and organization for you? So I run two businesses. One is obviously my book, which I authored. I also am a single mom because I'm widowed. So I have one in college and one in that's graduating college this year and one that's graduating high school this year. Wow. And so the priorities and the time management is the forefront. But beyond just creating priorities and time management, I've had to learn how to prioritize myself. Because the moment that I forget me in the process of doing all of these things is the moment that I recognize my mental health struggles, my physical health struggles. And so I have to make that my first priority. Um, Absolutely. And then I then it goes from there. You just roll with the punches. <laughs> well, as they say, you can't pour from an empty cup. So you do. You have to prioritize yourself. And that's not selfish. But we've been taught and conditioned to believe that self-care and looking out for ourselves first is selfish. When it's not the case, it's exactly the opposite. Yeah. And I think that for a long time, and I still struggle with this, so I can't say... I don't. So coming back to that, I have a tendency to be self-sacrificial, not just serving others, but to an extent that it hurts me or I'm at the disadvantage. And so I have to be constantly at high awareness if I'm falling down into that pattern and to tread lightly when it comes to understanding that When we serve others, that's one thing. We start going so far and above and beyond for others and forget ourselves, that becomes an unhealthy behavior. Yeah, for sure. And that's a very common trait among women. Mothers, especially mothers, mothers are always on the back. Women in general always put themselves on the back burner. And yeah, that you're not serving anybody, least of all yourself. No. In in fact, it's creating not only unhealthy behaviors within you, but then we're teaching others those that we accept it. I have a saying that says, what you tolerate, you condone. Mm. And so the more we tolerate being treated like this is expected of us, the more we condone it. And then we continue to repeat that cycle. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm very curious then with you wearing so many hats, what does your morning routine look like? So I'm very stringent because I do have a busy schedule. So I'm up between 4.30 and 5 every morning. (sighs) 
<laughs> wow. I know. That means that I need to be in bed before 10. If I'm not, then I'm exhausted. So I'm up and I go to the gym. I do, sometimes I'll go to yoga, hot yoga in the morning or the gym. That's really my me time. Remember, I put me first and then everybody else. So that helps me start my day. And then from there, I'm running into scheduled meetings. And between meetings, though, I actually take about 20 minutes every single day to stop, go into a quiet place, and then listen to calming music to bring myself back to the present moment. And then I jump right back in, depending upon how my day is scheduled. And then by the end of the day, after making dinners and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> after the end of the day, I typically wind down by like really recapping my day and finding gratitude in the things I did achieve, and then looking forward to the next day. So sometimes I'll look at my calendar, journal a to-do list. So then it's off my plate and I can rest versus all of those thoughts and worries going through my mind. Wow, that's good. So you don't book meetings back to back then. You leave white space in your calendar as much as you possibly can. I try to leave. So even on my heaviest day, when I have eight meetings, I will still make intentional steps of that 20 minutes to myself. And I try to do 30 minutes between each meeting so that I can breathe. Since <laughs> we're running and we forget to breathe throughout the yeah. day. And then our heart rate increases and it creates way more anxiety than we need. Serena, what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do? It's interesting. For a few years, I really struggled with even getting out of bed. So sharing my schedule now with you is miles away from where it was a few years ago. There was times where I would get out of bed and I would start the day. And remember, I'm running a business. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like I can just quit. Yeah. <laughs> so something small would happen in my day and I would shut down and I would retract and I would isolate and I would hide. And so there's a lot of times in my life where the darkness that I've experienced shows back up. But what keeps me motivated is the fact that I am no longer in the darkness. And so it's not that I'm running away from it. Yeah. I already ran through it. So it's <sighs> now it's like anything else coming at me is easy compared to some of what, the things that I've faced. Yeah, for sure. Serena, can you share with us what you were doing for a living before you made the jump into entrepreneurship? And what was the catalyst for that journey into the entrepreneurial world for you? Kicking and screaming. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in corporate for a very long time, building my way up the corporate ladder. And I was a VP of marketing. And in my book, I talk about this experience. and It's a little heart-wrenching, but in my position as a VP of marketing, I was working for a company that was very religious and very yeah. strong in their beliefs and values. I didn't share those same beliefs and values, but I honored and respected them. And at one point, my husband and I were having a really rough time. It was two weeks after we had gotten married and I'd found out about the first woman that he had cheated with. And so it was a really traumatic time period for me. During that time, I made sporadic decisions and things that probably weren't in the best interest of being in that career mindset because yeah. sometimes your personal life just kind of drags you out. And I'd sent an email to my husband through my personal email account, but it was on my actual desktop okay. at the office. And the IT person uh -oh. got access to that email. Oh, no. Put it on my boss's desk, which was the president of the company. Oh, wow. And so I remember going in and doing this big presentation to the directors and executives that next morning, not knowing that this had happened. And they asked me to stay after. And they said that because of their beliefs and their values, having a woman in a high position and then using my work computer for person right. that represents them that they didn't feel like it would be the right thing to keep me. And Whoa. So, I know. So not only did I just get married, I also just found out two weeks after I was married that my husband was with someone for a year. And then because of my own bad choices, I lost my career within a few months. 
And it almost felt like everything that I had worked so hard to build, I had lost everything in just like a few month period time. It was so devastating. And so my mom came to me and as I was going through this process, I'm submitting my resumes to all these different places as a yeah. And my mom said, if you invested even a quarter of yourself into you and mm. your business versus all of these other things, she's, there's no way you wouldn't be successful. And I was like, you're supposed to say that you're my mom. My life is hard. <laughs> you have no idea, mom. I need a paycheck. And she said, well, if you're not going to do it for you, do it for me. And I was like, you're so manipulative. <laughs> you know I'll do it for you. And so I actually started kicking and screaming, just like I said, but my mom, she named the company Pulse Marketing. And I realized later that it's because I pour my heart into everything that I do. And so it made sense for her to name mm. it that. And so that's how we started. Well, it's usually easier to see it from the outside looking in. And of course, when you're in it, you can't see the forest for the trees and how incredible it was that your mom supported you in that way. I mean, you think about that. Most parents, you're talking to your parents and telling them you just lost your job and all this other stuff had happened. Most parents, yes, they would be supportive, but they wouldn't say, well, why don't you just start a business instead of, well, just go out and find another job. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like most parents, that's probably what they would say, I would think. I know... I don't think that I would say that to one of my girls if she came home and said, I lost my job, my husband fucked around on me. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I don't think I'd say, well, then start a business. I would just say, it, of course, be supportive to get them through those situations. But it'd be like, okay, well, it's okay. You can find another job. Jobs are a dime a dozen. It, that's easy. But your mom said, fuck it, start a business. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredibly supportive. Un unorthodox. Like you wouldn't think you would hear that. Oh, it was something that I'd never even considered. There you go. <laughs> but she knows me and she knows that I will do whatever it takes to to prove everyone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be a statistic. I want to show everyone that I can do it. Well, so, and who better to know that than a parent? They know their child. Course. So she just knew that I was in a dark place at that moment. And that if something was going to light a fire in me, it was going to be that. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Entrepreneurial journeys, as you know, are often filled with ups and downs. I mean, let's be honest, entrepreneurship stretches you, tests you, pushes you in ways that you would never even imagine possible. It's got to be one of the hardest and biggest tests in the world. Yeah. Aside from raising kids, I think entrepreneurship's right up there at and that level. And it together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are the top three key lessons that you've learned along the way and how have they shaped your approach to business? Oh, that's such a good question. I've learned way more than three, but. <laughs> <laughs> so I think one of the biggest things is business is not about business. It's about people. And that's because as an entrepreneur, everything that happens in your personal life impacts your business. Whether you see it or not, it does. So when you are falling apart in your personal life, it translates into your business and you can pretend to hold it together, but it just, it's a part of you. And so when I think of business, people say that a lot. Well, it's just business. No, when you pour your heart and soul into something, it's personal. So not that you have to take things personal, that's separate, mm. that it is a part of you. And so to be very conscious of how your life and life choices impact every aspect of your life, including your business as an entrepreneur. So I would think that's a, a big one in my learning. I obviously learned that the hard way. That's how most of us learn, isn't it? <laughs> really? Right. And I think the other big learning for me is don't look at people based on their potential. Look at them for what they are. We have a tendency to look at people and either see all of these great things that we see in them, which then kind of creates unrealistic expectations and also doesn't give them a fair chance to be who they are. 
And that could cycle into not just business, but in life as well. It goes from employees to spouses. Don't see the potential, see who they are, accept them where they are, and then choose to either guide, coach, train, evolve, or go in your own direction. So that's a huge one because we have a tendency to latch on to people, especially as entrepreneurs, when you have an employee that is amazing and may have a few issues, a few red flags, we have a tendency to ignore them and then it impacts everything else. Say the other biggest thing is culture. Once I shifted and started being fully authentic and transparent, and I stopped hiding behind who I thought I had to pretend to be, I had to be strong. I had to know all the answers. I had to be, as had to be this, had to be that. I had to be all the things. That, right? And you're like, I'll just figure it out. But at the same time, when you're an entrepreneur and you feel like the world is looking at you, when you pretend to have it all together, the world knows you don't, oh, especially your employees. And so to be in a place where you can say, hey, I'm having a rough week this week and I'm struggling a little bit. Can you help me a little bit more with this? Or I don't really feel comfortable sharing this right now, but I just want you to know that I'm having a rough time. Those yeah. things actually bring people closer and it lets your guard down and it actually inspires a culture of openness, collaboration, instead of feeling like you're the dictator, they yeah. look at you like they want to help and support you. So I would say well, that's big things. We have to lead by example as leaders, as business owners. If you have employees, you have to lead by example. You have to show them what you want them or how you want them to work, how you want them to interact with people, how you want them to behave in the office. That's up to you. But a lot of times you think by being a certain way instead of being who you are is how you want them to be. But it's really looking within and saying, no, I, I want them to be successful and grow and thrive. And the only way to do that is by being real. Absolutely. You hear authenticity, that word thrown around. And it's it's true though. You have, as a leader, you have to be authentic with your people. This way, it also lets them know that it, that's what you want from them. And it's okay to be that way and behave that way. Yes. Because for so long, like my story is about hiding. As a little girl, I hid in the closet after my father would abuse me. As a, an adult woman, after I found out that my husband cheated, I didn't tell anyone. I pretended everything was okay. And I continued fixing and doing. And every night I would hide in the closet and cry. That hiding is only a part of how we exhibit that in our lives. I was also hiding behind other people. If I'm who I really am, and if I'm showing them this part of me, then I'm vulnerable. So I'm just going to isolate, or I'm just going to hide, <laughs> or I'm going to pretend I'm strong so that I'm not even more vulnerable to get hurt or for someone to do something like I invested all this time in my employees and then they just leave. You have a tendency to have your guard up and my guard was hiding and I've had to learn to step out and put myself out there despite of the pain or the frustration or the hurt that might come my way. I think that's a huge piece is understanding what internally is your barrier and then you have to run through it. Yeah, go right through it. That's it. Mm -hmm. There's no way around it. You can't no. go around it. And the more you try to go around it, the bigger it gets. For sure. As a visionary entrepreneur, what is your leadership philosophy and how do you cultivate a vision-driven culture within your organization? So I've created a culture that I'm super proud of. My biggest value is we rise by lifting others. And so it inspires this incredible momentum to constantly be seeking ways to support and to find solutions and to collaborate instead of just trying to rise to the top. And so we've created a set of core values and there's about five different core values. One is we rise by lifting others. Another one is we communicate with love. Love is an acronym. It's L-U-V. And it represents listen, understand, and validate. So Ooh, I love that. 
all our core values. And what we've done is we wanted to promote peer-to-peer recognition, not just recognition from above. And so what we did is we created a program that every week, each of our team members gets an anonymous survey and they get to select somebody on the team that they felt went above and beyond and represented one of those core values. And they can't vote for themselves, just so we're clear. (laughs) (laughs) No self-nominations here. No self-nominations because it inspires really just being gratitude and being thoughtful of others. At the end of the year, I collect all these responses. No one sees them but me. And we award one person with what we call our team choice award. And that is a trip anywhere around the world. Whoa. How do I get a job with your company? I know. (laughs) But remember, this is all year long. This person has just gone above and beyond. Anywhere they want to go in the world? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. There's parameters, right? Like, Of course. So what we've done is we give them an additional week of paid vacation. And it's up to $2,500. So if they have a family of six, they can't go anywhere. But if it's a smaller family, right now, the ones, Stephen, who's my designer, won it the previous year. And him and his wife and his three little ones are going to Hawaii uh, actually in two weeks. Very cool. How many people do you have working for you? So right now, we we are small and lean. Mm -hmm. So right now, we have six. Are you hiring? We We are. (laughs) That's so funny. Well, we are, but I think you're overqualified. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Yeah. That's a That's way incredible. to show our team that this is about them, but it's also about them empowering their- Other, Yeah, their colleagues. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that you brought this up because this is something I've had a few conversations about lately. And it's the whole corporate culture thing where I, for the life of me, cannot- I mean, I worked in corporate for 12 and a half years at an accounting firm, one of the big four. And they're one of their core values was people first. And I'm calling bullshit on that because it was not that at all. But I don't understand why these corporations, they talk the talk, but how can they not see that if you empower your employees, if you treat your employees well, with respect, show them that you value them, they're going to want to work that much harder for you. And you're also not going to create this revolving door of employees. They're going to stay. There'll be the longevity. But corporations, I can't understand why corporations can't grasp this concept. It's very simple. I think It it really is. I think it spirals out of their control because if they don't train the top, the executives, to then implement it with the leadership, to then yeah. implement with management and they hold each person accountable to live and to breathe those values. And those values are just words on a wall. It True. has to be incorporated in everything that you do. Actually, our core values are a part of our hiring process. We're choosing a candidate and it's a part of our firing process when we feel like someone isn't in alignment, with one of these core values. So it's huge because it's woven throughout into everything. the fabric of the of your company. That's yeah. it. And I, I think it's incredible. Things. This is a prime example of it, right? You and your company. I think that's amazing what you do. Thank you. And I could see corporations struggling with this. Yeah. People struggle with this. And so right. I think one of the big things is going back to what I said is that business is not about business. It is it's about not. people. And if you don't like really identify what their needs are, how to support them, even what their love language is in the workplace. And how are you going to support their growth, investing in them? And it's just going to seem like they're working for dollars instead of they're working for a purpose. Very true. I love it. I think it's incredible. I think it's amazing what you're doing. And more companies need to adopt that culture and that way of thinking because that could revolutionize corporate America, corporate Canada. If more companies got on board with doing this and starting off up here with training these people, this is what we're doing here. This is how things work. And then it just trickles down. And if your candidates don't fit into this, sorry, there's no work for you here. Yeah. That's it. And I think it's important because as 
humans, we need to feel like we have a sense of purpose. Absolutely. Valued, yes. That we matter and that we're growing and being challenged. And if we only have one part of that and not the other pieces, then you don't get a whole person in your business. No, absolutely. Crazy. I don't know. I we can go on for hours on this one. <laughs> we could. This is like a whole series of episodes. I love it. Serena, what do you consider to be one of the essential traits of a successful leader? There's so many, but I would say the number one trait is empathy. I mean, just putting yourself in that person's position and understanding where they are and meeting them where they are. It's probably one of the biggest traits that you have to have. And then the secondary one is emotional intelligence. You have to have emotional intelligence where you have self-awareness and social awareness and you can manage those things. If you're not, then you'll never, it would be impossible, an impossible mountain to climb. It just won't work. Yeah. What is the process in your mind that best supports leadership development? Oh, that's a good question. So I think leadership development is very specific to each individual. Once you understand who are the leaders within your organization, it's understanding how they learn, how they grow, and what drives them. Once you understand that, then you can create a process or a path specific to that type of person. I can tell you this, that my two top leaders within my team, and we've been in business for 10 years, both of them have been with me, one for five and one for six. So over half of the time, the company yeah. is operating and each of them started in an entry-level position. And now I have one who's a creative director and one who's a director of projects both completely night and day. But once I got to identify what their individual needs were as a human and identify what their goals were, that's when I was able to guide and coach them and create the process. And so what we have is called, it's called an OPP. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> Naughty by nature. Yeah. You love it. And the OPP is called a one page personal plan. And it's literally a one page personal plan that they put, what are my life goals? What are my professional goals? What are my financial goals? Then they start with us. So wow. I know before they even start where they're going. And then I know I need to create a path to get them there. So we have to look at our employees our as individuals. There's, not everyone, we're all different. We're all unique and we all have different needs. We all work different ways. It's got, I don't know, again, this ties into what we were just talking about. It's the same shit. Corporate America needs to change. Corporate Canada needs to change. The whole corporate world needs to change. Yeah. They could take some fucking lessons from you. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because corporate America, you look at it and it's money driven. So the people that work in corporate America are rewarded financially, but that's yeah. not how everyone receives appreciation or gratitude or feels valued. Very true. Now, as a leader yourself, you work with, of course, many people in leadership, entrepreneurs, innovative minds in leadership. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what the difference is between an expert leadership and thought leadership. Interesting. So I think of an expert as a subject matter expert. Somebody okay. might have studied or practiced, right? Like a daily yeah. practice of something that they're really good at. But I don't think an expert skill qualifies or translates into leadership. I think it's good to have some expert skills. However, it does not correlate unless you have some sort of emotional intelligence that connects those dots. I think leadership, you can't lead if you don't have anyone who's following, just so we're clear. Mm -hmm. You won't have anyone who's following unless you create <laughs> an environment in which they want to follow. And so I think the leadership starts with creating momentum, creating excitement and buy-in. You're getting people to buy in to what you're doing and they want to be part of it. And then I think that thought leadership brings you to that next level where now you're sharing what you've learned through the expert and the leadership process to now create an impact that's greater than just your company and it's bigger than you and create an impact on the world. Love it. 
What inspires or lights you up the most about the work that you do? Oh, that's a good question. I think what lights me up the most is my people. I know that sounds so weird because mostly you'd think, well, are, is it your clients? And that's probably the right thing to say. Sorry, yeah. that's the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> but being an entrepreneur, you have employees that come, you have employees that go, you have employees that hurt you, then you have employees that sue you. Like just everything yeah. you can imagine. But when you have team members that you get to see their families, you get to see them grow and evolve as a professional and evolve as a person. That to me is a beautiful thing. And so one of the things that's such a silly, and you asked me what lights me up. So it's funny because it's not what you would think. I actually am so proud of some of my previous employees that I'm still connected with. And so I try to create an offboarding experience that is comfortable and safe for them so that mm -hmm. Because long-term, it always circles back, right? Yeah. But what yeah. I recognize, it's beautiful. One of my very first employees, I mean, this is 10 years ago. She had barely any experience, had no idea what she was doing, but she was a figured out kind of personality. Yeah. She worked with us. We, we taught her some things. And within two years, she actually left to go work for Nike Corporate. From there, she went to Disney from there, she went in even larger. And I was like, that lights me up. I got to be a tiny little part of her yeah. journey. The springboard for all of it. Yes. like Really? That's exciting. That is beautiful when you see that. And relationships and connection are the foundation for entrepreneurship, for business, for life. Why wouldn't you... Unless the person was a complete dick and fucked yeah. you over or stole from you or whatever from your company, why wouldn't you stay in contact with these people? I mean, they were a part of your life. They were part of your business. They helped your business in yeah. one way, shape, or form. So why wouldn't you stay connected with them? Exactly. And to be able to see that growth process, that's amazing. That's a beautiful gift. When you have to let someone go or when they're moving on, there's ways to do it that create a very safe environment to where they don't feel that they're just cut off. Everything that they've done doesn't matter anymore. So we've kind of really adopted that when you're ready to move on, we're going to celebrate what you've given us. Or That's... if we have to let you go, it breaks our hearts. And typically it's because there's something lacking. Maybe we're just not giving you the right fit. You need yeah. to thrive. Yeah. We never look at it like, well, you're cut off. See you later. See ya. There's the oh, door to let oh. it hit you in the ass <laughs> right? on the way out. <laughs> and so I can say out of the 10 years, almost every single employee, there's only less than a handful that's ever worked with me, I'm still in touch with. That's pretty incredible. And again, that speaks to your leadership and who you are as a business owner. I'm still I think cheering it's amazing. I'm still cheering them on. Oh, you had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. That speaks to who you are as a human being as well, first and foremost. Now, on the flip side of that coin, what is one of the most difficult parts about the work you do? Oh, so I would say... In all the time that I've been in business, it's always ebbs and flows. It never feels like it's just consistent. You're always either starving or you're celebrating. <laughs> Feast or famine. And I think the most challenging part is your mindset. Gosh, it is the most important thing that you have. And it's the easiest thing to lose is your yeah. mind. <laughs> so <laughs> I would say to keep, I mean, for anyone who wants to start a business, I would really like to caution you never to do it. Please don't. Uh, <laughs> but no, but I would say that you have to stay grounded. You have to remember that things are only temporary because it does feel like the end of the world when everything kind of stacks against you and you can't make payroll and the IRS is taxing you. $14,000 for something that you don't understand. And then on top of that, you have some sort of workers' comp lawsuit from three years ago you had no idea about. And then now you have a client that just you decided to cancel and they owe yeah. you $20,000. Anything that could possibly go wrong, not that that was my experience, but just giving you an example. Yeah. Anything that could possibly. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> It's your mindset. You yeah. have to know if I can just get through this moment 
I can keep taking those steps forward. It doesn't happen in a leap. It happens in moments and breaths. Well, we have to remember too that all we really have control over is how we react to situations. A hundred percent. That's it. That's very easy to say. It is. Actioning it is a very different ballgame. But yeah. if you can get to that point where you can, that's okay. This too shall pass. And my dad always said, what's meant for you will not go by you. You will get through it. You have to. Well, and there's like a, somebody told me this at one time that before you respond, count to three. And so there's kind of a statement in my mind where it's like, pause, pray, proceed, whatever that is, yeah. I have to pause. Because if I don't pause for those three seconds, what happens? <laughs> we're jumping from one thing over here. We're juggling yeah. over there. We react. We don't act in a way that we should, and that just creates a domino effect of other issues. For sure. So it's that pausing before you proceed that actually reminds you to shift your mindset. Remember, in this moment, this feels like this. Yeah. But it's temporary. But that takes self awareness and practice. <laughs> a lot of practice. They call it practice because you do it every day. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now, when we speak about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship, we often think about legacy. How do you envision the legacy you want to leave through your business? And what steps are you taking to build that legacy? So, gosh, my legacy is so much bigger than my business. And I hope that's true for everyone. My purpose is to get to the heart of what really matters in a way that fosters healing, that fosters growth, that empowers people to overcome. That's who I am. That's my legacy. And so when I think about my business in a legacy perspective, what my goal is to grow the business large enough so that I can take some of the proceeds and give it back to some of my team members that have been there with me through some of the biggest challenges of my life. I want to give back to them. And then my goal after that is to really just inspire and empower people with my story and to do speaking engagements and to just awaken the spirit. I have such bigger goals, right? Than just <laughs> my business. But as a legacy, I do want to get to a place where I can give back to those employees that have invested in me. That's beautiful. There is a lot of people out there that need to wake the fuck up. <laughs> There's a lot of people walking around sleepwalking. So awakening them is necessary. I think a yeah. lot of people. Well, and a lot you of people. know parts of my story. So yes. in my mind, it's one of those things where you typically don't wake up until you're at rock bottom. That's mm -hmm. when you wake the fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> because true. You're at rock bottom, it hurts, it's cold, it's wet, and you have to get yourself out of it and you have to yeah. crawl out of it. That is what drives me because mm. I never want to be there again. I'm sure. And, and now speaking of, sorry, go on, finish, no, finish your I, thought. Like, no, my I apologies. make sure that I share that with the world. Right? Yeah. I was there, mm. get up. <laughs> yeah. And if you can do it, it's a permission slip for others to realize that it's possible for them too. Yeah. Right? By sharing your story. And that's what it's all about is our struggles is some are someone else's life raft. Yeah. It's really the it's our challenges, our struggles, the things we sacrificed, the horrible things we faced are just pieces in someone else's survival guide. One hundred percent. They just need some of those little pieces. When I was going through it, I had mentors and people that poured into me, not always, but Sometimes just in those little tiny moments that made all the difference. Now, this is a great segue. <laughs> you mentioned your story. I know through previous conversation with you that you have one hell of a story and journey and experience. I would love if you don't mind sharing about your journey and your story. Which part? Where do, where do I start? Do you want the bulletproof version? <laughs> Well, I don't think we have time to go in the long book no, version, but you don't want to bore anyone anyways. <laughs> no, it's not boring at all. <laughs> it's anything, but if we could do a condensed version of, of it. Of course. So for those listening that don't know me, I grew up in witness protection and foster homes because my biological father was the leader of a satanic cult and sexually abused my sister and I and locked my mother, my sister and I in a trailer where we were monitored and couldn't leave. And once we did get out, we were separated 
My mother had to earn her rights back as a parent because of the dangerous environment. My father was only incarcerated for a very short time. Can I just interrupt? Sorry. How did you get out? How did you escape? Like, so how did that I, whole thing happen? This is before the age of five. So okay. he had taken my innocence before the age of five. And I wasn't aware of a lot of things because I had just kind of disassociated all of that. My mother was trying to figure out a way to get out. And there's many times where members of the cult would be monitoring us. And she was able to get one of the members to actually facilitate getting us out. So that is is how we got out. But once we were all separated and in these different places, I was transferred to nine different foster homes. And by the time my mom did earn her rights back, by that point, Now I'm an adolescent. So I had already believed that I survived all of this on my own. I didn't need anyone. And then I lived on the streets and I was homeless for about a year and a half. Holy shit. Where were you living? Where were you staying? Anywhere that I could until I wore out my welcome. and Like friends, places and stuff? So I was 15. I was 16 years old. It was my 16th birthday. And I ran away. I enrolled myself into high school. I know. Who does that? I just didn't (laughs) want to get behind. Who even thinks of (laughs) I know. I was like, I'm not, I was in my head. I was like, I'm not going to get behind on this. I need to just get this done. But yeah. So I, at sometimes I was in abandoned houses. At one point I slept on a park bench and then I snuck into the school during the early morning hours to shower in the gym. I struggled with drug addiction at that time. And you could imagine all at 16. And just so we're clear, you can imagine all the things that happen on the street. So it was of course. a very scary time and putting myself in that situation because I had been through so much already. I was just determined to prove that I didn't need anyone because I'd been through so much. And yeah. at the time I graduated and then rebuilt my life with my mom and she remarried, which is the only real dad I've ever known. Now it was like climbing up the corporate ladder. So I didn't have a breath to take. Like Holy it was like shit. since I was young. And so it was like one to one, just jumping into situations continually. Yes. And I found myself pregnant at 20. And so that was when I had my son. And that was terrifying as a single mom. Mom and his father was in the military, wanted nothing to do with us once I found Holy out I was pregnant. Shit. So I was making those choices that led me there and yeah. repeating cycles. So I had to find the awareness first within myself to stop repeating yeah. the cycles. And then I would say, after I met my husband, I was already a single mom of two mm-hmm. and he had one and I just fell head over heels in love with him. We were together for two years and then we yeah. got married. And then two weeks after our wedding, I found out that about the first woman. And I say the first woman because I stayed married to him for 10 years. Holy shit. Yes. Because I looked at it like I did not go through all of this to give up on this. I can figure out a way we could work through it. We can overcome it. But what I didn't recognize is that I couldn't fix anything. And I also didn't recognize until later that I couldn't earn love. I thought if I was an amazing wife, if I was good in bed, if I was a great mother, if I was amazing at business and made money and all these things that there's no way he'd want to cheat me because I'm awesome. (laughs) And you are, but... but I recognize that from a young age, I was taught that love was about sacrificing yourself or you had to do this for me, earning. And so once that shift took place and I recognized that I don't have to earn love, it should be freely given. And you should see this within me, that you love me. Instead, I just kept trying to earn more of his love every time that he struggled with his unfaithfulness or he struggled with mental health. I just felt like I had to fix, protect, and save. And that codependent behavior sent me down this spiral. Well, he also worked in the business. Welcome to my crazy life, right? Wow. Now you know why I'm so happy and and light. (laughs) (laughs) But to be honest, he was incredibly 
charming and magnetic. And he was incredible at sales. He brought our company to over a million in sales. Well, you see all the dynamics happening here when you're running a business and you're also, your spouse is in the business and these issues yeah. are happening behind the scenes and you're trying to save everyone. And it's just wild. And so finally, when I recognized that I needed to save myself, I couldn't keep protecting and saving everyone else is when I left my husband and in October of 2019. And then by March of 2020, he committed suicide. Oh my gosh. Wow. That was the recap of the story. So <laughs> it that's, is a rough one. It is. That's fucking heavy. That's a lot for one person to deal with. Yeah. From the age of four, five. Yeah. Well, before five. Yeah. Up until here, all the shit in between. And you're still fucking standing like this. Yeah. It is mind fucking boggling to me. You are an incredibly courageous and resilient human being. Honestly, because I know there's a lot more to the story and we've talked about it. So I know the details of what you've been through and I just have to applaud your courage and your resilience. I think you're an amazingly courageous human being for what you've been through. And look at where you are now, what you've accomplished. Like that is fucking incredible. That's a testament to your character, who you are as a human. You should be very proud of how far you come. Thank you. I take a moment every day. Yeah, and you should myself. and celebrate you. Yeah. Now you know why I celebrate me. That's fucking so powerful. Long, I didn't. Amazing. Thank you so much for your vulnerability and for sharing that, of Serena. Course. Now, how have these experiences helped shape the woman you are today, both personally and professionally? I think when people look at success or they look at people that they admire, they're like, they're on top of the mountain and they're just like roaring and taking over the world. But the truth is the real journey, the real lessons are in the climb and every tear and the sweat and all of that is what truly shapes you. It creates humility and empathy and all of the qualities that you need to actually be on the top of the mountain. And, yeah. and I believe that every little moment was just the another piece to the puzzle as I was developing into the woman that I am today. It's incredible. The self-awareness and just your attitude about everything what with what you've been through. It's inspiring. It truly is. Thank you. What would you say was the biggest takeaway or most valuable lesson for you through all of these experiences? I would say, gosh, there's so many. Um, I would say I, I have a wealth of post-traumatic wisdom to share. As, as <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. To say the least. No, I think the most valuable learning is I do enough and I have enough and I am and you enough. You are enough. There you I go. I am. And when I think about who I am and where I've come from, I don't look at it like I was a victim. I look at it differently. I'm going to conquer this. And even though I did it in many unhealthy ways along the way, I think the learning from that is I've recognized that when you put all the layers behind you and you fully become yourself, you attract that back into your life. And to me, that's what I learned is that the more that I pretended to be other things and the more that I fought through life instead of accepting where I was and the moment that I finally became fully transparent and accepted who I was, was the moment that things started to shift and all of the things that I wanted in life started to come right back. Beautiful. And so I'm curious, what resources or support did you have available to you when you're going through all of these different struggles that you faced? I mean, as a kid, you had the streets, that's what you had. But as you got older, what resources did you have? Well, to, it's not without a lot of counseling, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Who did you have to turn to? Who did you have to go to? Gosh, there's so many people that inspired me throughout my life. But I think one thing that I did is I read a lot of books or listen to them. I don't read that fast. So I listen to a lot of audiobooks because I wanted to grow. 
So I think that drive in itself. And then once I started to grow emotionally, I started to find people who inspired me. One of which, of course, is my mother. But in addition to my mother, I looked at people that were in higher positions that had these amazing changes they were making in the world. And so I was like, what are they doing? And I studied them <laughs> like I yeah. like that person. And then I started to involve myself in groups. And how do I get myself in a group where I have support if I'm struggling with this? So that was another thing. And then beyond that, I started to use different apps once the app world opened up, because remember, I'm older. So back in the day, it was pagers. <laughs> <laughs> then it was like, I can do all different types of therapy through using an app instead of having to go to therapy. I can write in a journal. I can learn this. And so all of these pieces helped me. It wasn't just one thing. But the one thing I would say that you need is you need to have somebody that inspires you. And that then drives your sense of purpose. Love it. Beautiful. Now, this leads right into discussing your book. Let's talk about the book for a minute. Your story, of course, was the inspiration or catalyst for you to write your book. Can you speak a little bit about the book? I mean, I know you basically just gave us an overview of it, but <laughs> what is the title of the book? And what was your experience like for you writing that, putting your story out into the world, onto paper and out into the world? Was the process cathartic? How tough was that? How long did it take you to write the book? <laughs> <laughs> that says everything. <laughs> Oh, wow. Everyone that's heard my story was like, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. And I am not even a writer. Mm. And so I was like, no. Says everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I, at this point, before I wrote the, right when I started writing the book, I'm a widow. I have a company that's falling apart. I'm a single mother. I have zero money, right? Yeah. And zero time. Because I have yeah. to find out how to make money. And yeah. <laughs> so I was in the worst position to even write a book. However, it was the most healing process. I have ever experienced. And it's because you don't write a book by telling your story. You write a book by showing it. And so okay. what made it also very excruciating is reliving those memories by remembering that my barefoot feet on the carpet when I was five and remembering how the room smelled yeah. or how it felt, the temperature, the environment. When you bring yourself back into memories that you've had that are very traumatic, what happens is you think about the memory and then you either forget it or you try to get rid of it. I had to sit in it, face it, and remember how it felt so I could describe it. And so that was, yes, it was excruciating, but yeah. it was such a beautiful process after you like put that behind you. I have never felt so free and it was a beautiful thing. And so I titled the book Exposed because I felt naked writing the book. And then the subtitle is You Can't Heal When You Hide. Because Back to that hiding bit. Was to hide. And yeah. I had to find the courage to publish the book because <laughs> I like to hide. I like mm. to be behind the scenes. I don't want to be in the spotlight. And that was scary. I'm sure. How, are, how is everyone going to perceive me now when I just exposed the most intimate, dark secrets and mistakes mm. of my life in this book? And so, yeah, terrifying and beautiful. Liberating all the Liberating things. all of it. How long did it take you to write the book? It was probably a year and a half. I would say almost two years. And that's because I probably took a little break in there. But one Well, I'm I, sure there were times when you're writing that you actually had to step away because it was oh, yeah. just too overwhelming. There was times where I was writing where I could not get out of that moment. Yeah. And so I had to snap out of it and I couldn't. And so that was tough. But I started it two years prior. Finally, I hired a book coach. She read what I started and said, this is shit. <laughs> threw it out the window <laughs> and she had me start over, but she taught me a better way to write. And so it was the best thing that I could have ever done. Wow. And then once I really put my mind to it, I would say it took me about nine months and there's 23 chapters. 
Holy shit. Yeah. So it was a lot because she put assignments like I had homework. I literally had to write two chapters a week at one point. And I am like, I don't have time for this. So I'm sitting at my daughter's soccer practice while she's on the field. I'm in the car on my laptop writing. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. Incredible. Wow. So it can be found at Amazon on your website. We'll put the links in the show notes for people to purchase the book. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, of course. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after learning it? That is such a good question. I think the biggest and most important thing is kind of what I touched on earlier is that you can be all of these things and you can do everything for everyone. But at the end of the day, you can't earn love. It has to be freely given. And it wasn't until I learned that simple little statement that I finally felt weightless because I carried the weight of my worth on everything that I could do for everyone else. And that is heavy because some people's expectations just keep getting higher. And I just kept meeting those ones and then taking Mm -hmm. on more. And once I realized I don't need to earn it, I'm pretty awesome just the way I am. And (laughs) you could just love me without me trying so hard. That I say out of all the crazy lessons I've learned was the one that took the most weight off my shoulders. That's powerful. Yeah. And that was because why I was putting that weight on my shoulders. Yeah, true. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? I think the first unexpected blessing was my son at 20. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a bad joke, but you get the idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, but to see how far I've come, I could have never imagined when I was in those moments that I would have come this far. And that in itself is a huge blessing. And so now I find gratitude in every little thing. And it's silly because- It's not silly when you at all. People think, oh, I need more. I need more. I need more. And I'm like, I'm just so grateful I have water. (laughs) It's the little things we do have to express gratitude for. Yeah. For sure. That is so huge when you've had nothing for Mm -hmm. so long. And so I would say those little moments are the biggest blessings. And one thing I've taught my kids is every experience is a memory. Yeah. And so... You have to create good experiences in everything that you do and use those experiences, whether they're awful or not. What could I learn from? What could I grow from? How could I use this to be better? Because otherwise, you're going to victimize yourself. And one thing that I never wanted to be that I would fight people if they called me this was victim. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I was like, you want to fight? Don't call me. I'm a survivor, baby. Yeah. I'm a warrior. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's it. You see? So yeah. I really want people to hear me when I say this. We may be acting like a victim without even knowing it. And it's even in how we share our stories. If we share it from, I'm the victim, they were the villain, then that just continues to repeat the victim cycle. I said that my husband was unfaithful. I said he struggled with it. I didn't say I cheated on me because that made me a victim. Whereas I saw that this was about him. This was a problem he had. And I made choices to try and fix and support in all my unhealthy behaviors. I was not a victim of what he, his choices were. That is his cross to bear, not yours. Exactly. And once I started recognizing that, I started letting go of all the responsibilities that I wasn't responsible for and stopped carrying them with me everywhere I went. That's a huge weight around your neck. Huge yeah. weight on your shoulders. Why do you think I said I feel weightless? I could just float, yeah, I can exactly. float all the way to Canada right now. <laughs> Come on up. <laughs> Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? I would say, gosh, I have so many people, but my executive coach, to be really honest, has had the biggest impact on me. He's been my executive coach for the last seven years. And so he's seen it all, right? Like, at least in the adult part of my life. And he's been the one person that was never afraid to say the hard things to say and really 
push me over the edge to actually take the next step that I was afraid to take. And he's, I mean, probably the most adamant person that wanted me to write the book. So I actually have the first page of acknowledgments and he's in there. Beautiful. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Oh, let's see. I would say my failure is my superpower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm really good at making bad decisions <laughs> and fixing it. <laughs> no, I would say my superpower is my ability to really connect with people on a human level and my empathic nature of understanding and feeling the emotion in the room. And yeah. shifting to accommodate that. So I'd say that's my secret superpower. Speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? That's so good. <laughs> success does not mean to me what it means to most people. Success is waking up in the morning and having a warm bed. Success is getting in a hot shower and wrapping yourself in a towel. Success <laughs> is being able to celebrate the little moments and to create memories with the people you love and to create a legacy through that. That's what success is to me. Love it. What does the word empowerment mean to you? Empowerment means to me that I've had the opportunity to sprinkle a little bit of life into somebody else's purpose and passion. And that mm. just lit a fire. <laughs> I love that. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word answer type okay. thing. Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Oh, well, damn, I have to be fast. <laughs> one word, whole. What is your favorite self-care practice? Yoga. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? I would say empathy. What is one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Connection. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? I would say it would be the time and investment in others, empowering others. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? Everything. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> that's an odd, no, that's an awesome answer. I love it. Yeah. It's a, there's, remember I had to learn all these things. I didn't yeah. just automatically love myself. I just love my spirit. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> That was so hard for me. (laughs) Serena, what is your why? Ah, my why is that I will get to the heart of what matters with people in a way that nurtures, guides, fosters, and supports their journey. Love that why. If you could step into my shoes, what question would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? How did you become so hot? I'm just kidding. I'm so bad. I know. You're like, you were never invited here again. I love it. I think think you did all the questions. I couldn't even think of when you didn't ask. You got me. All right. Thank you. But how did you become so hot? (laughs) It's natural, buddy. It's natural. (laughs) Serena, if you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Good question. I would say the silliest answer is Brene Brown. If I had to choose one woman, and that's just Mm -hmm. because it was honestly her books when I was much younger that inspired me, especially The Gifts of Imperfection. That specific book was the one that shifted my mindset from thinking I had to keep being a certain way. I had to be perfect to receive love and affection. Yeah. I would say she's my woman. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Just keep going. Don't give up. <laughs> <laughs> Which you clearly did. Yeah, just keep going. You got this. Right, in that last... voice, in that same voice. <laughs> go. Exasperate, exasperated. <laughs> Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? It would be short and simple. It would say, I have given it, I have received it, and I have deserved it throughout all of these moments in my life. And the one thing that I give the most that I also deserve is unconditional love. And that is the way that you build relationships 
Beautiful. Amazing way to end the interview. Serena, thank you so much for being here with me today, for taking and making the time to share your story, your journey, the beautiful light you put out into the world and the vulnerability in today's conversation. I truly appreciate you. I am so grateful to know you, to call you a friend and to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. Thank you. Thank you for even thinking of me for something like this. I feel so special and I'm so grateful for you. You are special and it is my honor and my pleasure. Could you share with the audience where they can connect with you if they want to learn more about you, maybe work with you? Of course. So for marketing and advertising, it's heartofcreative.com. For my author website for speaking or getting more information on my book, including articles and tips on communication and toxic relationships, that is serenamastin.com. And if they just put Serena Mastin into Amazon, I will be, my face is smack dab <laughs> on the book. They won't miss it. <laughs> Beautiful. And of course, we'll put all your links yeah. in the show notes so that people can connect with you there once your episode is released. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast today. My guest has been Serena Mastin. She's a visionary entrepreneur, an author, and the founder and owner of Pulse Marketing. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca and follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.